Let's take a minute and thank our sponsors for helping grow this podcast to bigger and better every episode. Our first one is SR3 Rescue Concepts because you don't know what you don't know. Our next one is Life Saving Systems Corporation. We do our work so you can do yours. Tough gear for tough jobs. Breeze Eastern, the world's only dedicated helicopter hoist and winch provider. And Flipping Coffee, brewing real coffee with real ingredients for real coffee drinkers. SR3 Rescue Concepts is a training company that can help with your helicopter training, standardization, and safety checks. Or maybe just an annual FAA refresher is what you need. They're ready to help your agency keep up to date with current techniques, rules, regulations, and equipment. The training staff is amazing. With certified flight instructor pilots and experienced crew members that are offering training in rescue, medical, tactical, firefighting, and ground operations. SR3 has partnered with Petzl to assist with a personal protective equipment inspection course and the highly specific Lazard, which is used for helicopter cliff and mountain rescue. And to add into it, they also teach ground tactical emergency care. Contact them today at sr3rescueconcepts.com. Again, sr3rescueconcepts.com or follow them on Instagram at sr3 underscore rescue. That's sr3 underscore rescue. Then we have Life Saving Systems Corporation. Manufactures the world's toughest helicopter rescue gear. From their Triton harness, which is my favorite harness being a rescueman, to the rescue basket, litters, and of course the most popular hoist hook in helicopters, yes, the D-Lock. The team at LSC cuts, bends, sews, wells, and machines these products into existence every day and sends them on their way to us. We do our work so that you can do yours. LSC, tough gear for tough jobs. Check them out at lifesavingsystems.com. That's lifesavingsystems.com. And follow them over on Instagram, at R-E-S-Q-G-E-A-R. That's at Rescue Gear. Next is Breeze Eastern. Since the very first helicopter rescue in November 1945, Breeze Eastern has designed and manufactured superior rescue hoist solutions. While much of the technology and unique mission requirements has changed over the past 75 years, their commitment to the rescuers, operators, and those rescued has not. Contact Breeze Eastern today by visiting at breeze-eastern.com. That's breeze-eastern.com. And the last one is Flippin' Coffee. At Flippin' Coffee, we roast each batch to perfection to bring that smooth, delicious cup of coffee that you won't find in most other brands. We like to keep it simple. Brewing real coffee using real ingredients for real coffee drinkers. Contact them today at flippincoffee.com. That's F-L-I-P-P-I-N coffee.com. You can also follow them on Instagram at flippincoffee. That's at F-L-I-P-P-I-N coffee. As a bonus, Flippin' Coffee is given a promotion. If you punch in promotion code, all capitals, R-E-A-L-R-E-S-Q, you get 10% off. That's promo code REALRESCUE, capitals, all capitals, 
R-E-A-L-R-E-S-Q, and you get 10%. If you're just going to send everybody an email, just make sure you tell them one thing. Quinny sent me here. And thank you to all of our sponsors. It's so fun to sit down and talk to other people from different parts of the world to see and hear what they're doing on their end for Search and Rescue. My next guest coming to me, uh, we sat down, we could have kept going. Uh, This podcast is a little longer, but I had such a great time and great conversation with her. She explores and brings me deep into South Africa and what they're doing down there. Volunteer work, small boat inflatables, RHIs, helicopter rescue. It's awesome. And I'm so grateful that she came onto the podcast. Kim, I'm sorry. I'm going to totally mess up your last name again, but that is the American coming out in me. So ladies and gentlemen, Kim Gurmishu. And I know she's smiling because that's not how you pronounce her last name. So she's going to help us out with that here in a second. Thanks for listening. My name is Jason Quinn. I am United States Coast Guard Rescue Swimmer number 500. These are my rescues and rescues from those of us that put our lives on the line every day so others may live. This is The Real Rescue Podcast. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to The Real Rescue Podcast today. I have an amazing guest. I'm so happy for her to be here. Her name is Kim Gurmishu, which I absolutely <laughs> jacked up her name. <laughs> Hi, Kim. How are you? Hey, Jason. I'm fine. Thanks. All right. So do me a favor. Just uh, correct me. What, how do you pronounce your last name? <clears throat> well, so it's Charmes Hayes. Yeah, I was way off. That was terrible. <laughs> <laughs> you just gotta get the you gotta go you know when you ha a lot of people although I do end up ha ha laughing afterwards because people just yeah. so Gramishu is that uh, that's okay is that that's my American coming out is that no that is that is that is literally the whole of the northern hemisphere coming out with Gramishu so okay just, just go with it all right I'm not gonna feel bad then well maybe a no. little bit but <laughs> <laughs> oh gosh i love it oh it's gonna be so fun well kim listen thank you so much for coming on um if you could be so kind as to introduce yourself and tell everybody out there like who you are where you're from uh give us a little resume background so, uh so i'm i'm from cape town south africa and i'm currently living in northern germany <laughs> from one end of the globe to the other oh yes from from beautiful sandy beaches and wonderful weather to the north sea and currently snowing outside so yeah no it's it's good huh? i am i'm a hoist operator on um for a company called wicking helicopters so we do sea pilot transfers in the north sea and also we have two different aircraft so we have um the H145, where we do sea pilot transfers and wind technician transfers in the wind parks. And then um, we have a AW139, where we do offshore wind park HEMS. So I get to hoist on both platforms and quite a variety of different things, which is really cool. Um, But my background, well, I 
started in aviation in 2003. Uh, I was a, I used to, I started off as a surf lifeguard and like I went to that, I finished school and I became a surf lifeguard 2001. Nice. And I used to see these guys, uh, the surf patrol flying around the helicopter, like in the helicopter um, on my holidays and stuff. And I was like, oh, that looks so cool. And we've all watched The Guardian. <laughs> cannot, <laughs> cannot take it. Come on. Hey, that, hey. that Guardian just kind of kicks itself up quite a bit in this podcast. I'm going to throw it that out. Like, <laughs> we love The Guardian. We well do. Done, uh, everybody that made that movie. <laughs> you sparked a lot in some of us. Pretty much everywhere. But um, yeah, so the Surf Patrol helicopter used to fly past while I was on lifeguard duty and I used to think these guys were super cool and I I just, I wanted to do it. So eventually the opportunity came up and um, yeah, I became a, a helicopter rescue swimmer in 2003 on the Surf Patrol heli. So, and that was, that was like all inshore stuff. So we used to, we basically, um, I, I hate saying the, uh, everyone knows this jump, we jump out the aircraft or fall, we free fall. Yep. So or free fall, cast, free fall. Or, what do you guys call it? Um, it used to be jump. And then um, with the, uh, we changed it to free fall deployment. Okay. Purely because of the fact of the idea of jumping one's head is up and then down. So uh, yeah. to get the students kind of away from the, the powering, like going up and then down, <laughs> just... <laughs> Free fall. Yeah, yeah, just, just um, okay. Yeah, just went to free fall deployment, affectionately known as jumping. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and there we are basically, um, so I was on the surf patrol helicopter for a couple of years. And um, we also have, and everything's voluntary. So there's also a, in South Africa, the National Sea Rescue Institute, so NSRI for short. And I, they do, off, they do, they cover where the lifeguards aren't. So lifeguards, the surf lifeguards are at specific beaches. And Cape Town is, the, uh, South Africa has just got this extensive coastline. So there is a, there are a lot of people going to sea. And a lot of people on the coast fishing and stuff. So a lot is going on. So the rest of the coastline needs to be covered, along with the fact that the Cape of Good Hope is a major shipping route. Mm -hmm. So the NSRI does everything else <laughs> maritime in terms of rescue. And um, my whole desire, love for this year, I'm a complete, complete water baby. Put me, put me in the ocean, and I'm. <laughs> I'm the happiest child on the planet. Oh my goodness. So um, I joined Sea Rescue in 2005 and um, at the surf, surf launch station, which was just up the road from me, called Melkbos Strand. So like I was a surf lifeguard at Big Bay and then um, just 10 kilometers north up the coast, I joined Melkbos Strand Station 18 as a, um, as a rescue boat crewman there. And so you, well, you were a crewman on the, on the boats as well as a rescue swimmer for the helicopter side as well, uh, like, or both. Add, add, add on the fact that a year after joining Sea Rescue, 
I joined the Sea Rescue Helicopter Unit too. Oh, so, wow. Oh, so you, you <laughs> wore a lot of different hats at a lot of different times. Holy cow. And I had a day job. <laughs> yeah, that's right, because you guys are all volunteers. Yeah, so, well, I actually had, like, I had a day job as a medical rep doing sales. Um, I had a side job as a bartender. Um, <laughs> did water safety events when needed. And I was a surf lifeguard um, squad leader and also drove drove rescue boats there, like the little like 4.2 meter RBs. Yeah. Love, love, love driving boats. Too much fun. Um, <laughs> and then what? helicopter rescue swimmer on the lifeguard side um, for on the surf, surf patrol helicopter. And then at my sea rescue station, I was a, a small boat rescue crew and then also a swimmer on, on the boats. And then um, a rescue swimmer on the Sea Rescue Helicopter Program, which is now NSRI Station 29 ASR. Wow. Wow. Very busy. Yeah. Yeah. That's incredible. Yeah. And it's just, uh, yeah. So, and in Sea Rescue, and it still is to this day, um, for anyone that wants to be a helicopter rescue swimmer, you have to be a, um, you can't just join the helicopter station, the helicopter unit. You have to be a rescue boat crewman too. So you have to fulfill your rescue boat station comes first. Yeah. You have to fulfill your duties at your rescue boat station first. And then your um, helicopter duties come second to that. So. Wow all your training and stuff. So, and it's two different stations. So you'd be on duty for, um, so surf lifesaving, you're on squad duty every like six weeks for a weekend. Sea rescue, you're on 24 seven standby duty um, every like three weeks, or if depending on the size of the station, there's either um, three, two, three or four crews. And you're on for a week. And then in that week, you've got to do um, the this coxswains, like the, the duty coxswain um, usually sets up training and stuff like that. Wow. And then the helicopter crew, um, and this is the Cape Town team, trains every second. Well, I don't know about now during Corona, but um, we're trained every second Tuesday at a, at an, a, like an indoor pool facility in the central in some in Cape Town and then they'd fly a training session with the South African Air Force um, once a month if they could uh, depending on how much flying time there is available that the Air Force has in in a month or nice so a little joint venture training there too that's great and then the surf rescue helicopter eventually with um, what's it called Eventually, with with the downturn in the economy and stuff, the company stopped because it was a sponsored helicopter. So it was like also a flying billboard for for big companies like Nokia and stuff. That eventually, um, and that eventually, unfortunately, how do you say, like uh, fell by the way. So like there was there was no funding really to carry it on. 
Um, so in certain, well, only in one province in the Western Cape, which is is also which has a quite an extensive beach or well, every coast. <laughs> Almost every province has got a coast, except for yeah. the inland ones, of course. But they have got the Department of Health. There has a, a a rescue helicopter, and that rescue helicopter then um, all the guys that were on the surf rescue program on the, the surf patrol helicopter moved over onto, we were flying both AMS, which is air mercy service and mm-hmm. the surf patrol helicopter kind of like flip flopping between the two, depending on where we were needed um, or where we uh, were not on duty. Like you, you'd serve duty at one side and then serve duty at the other side. Wow. Kind of. If you, yeah. Until, um, the surf rescue program fell away, not the surf rescue program, the surf rescue helicopter, the patrol helicopter fell away. And then AMS became the sole, um, how you say, what we call like inshore helicopter. So wow. the they operate a um, Augusta 119. Oh, yeah. And that, I mean, that can't go too far to single engine aircraft. So it's not permitted to go too far offshore. So they can only really go like maximum about like um, 10, 10 miles or so. I mean, it's still, it's, it's yeah. not, it's not terrible. I mean, get offshore for a little bit. Yeah. Yeah. yeah but um, they, they don't do anything that's too far offshore. So um, many drownings in progress, um, boats that are, are, are missing that are close to shore, uh, surf gears, Kayak, um, kayakers, the kite surfers, and stuff like that. Um, and then they do all the mountain rescue. They do all the mountain rescue stuff um, too. The South African Air Force also cover mountain rescue, depending on who is available at the time. So this is just the Western Cape, my home province. Um, and that on AMS, there we would do training once a month. So. Um, and the guys would try and attend um, currency training within a, I think we had a, a three month, three, a six month currency period for the, for the volunteers, because yeah. most of them would also be flying on the Air Force side. So they would attend training once a month, and that would be every second, second Saturday. So it would be wow. every second Saturday of the month was AMS training with their helicopter. Somewhere in between, usually in the week, was training with the Air Force. Then you still got your duty to serve with NSRI and that training. And then you have your lifeguard weekend somewhere in between. So, <laughs> um, that was yeah, that was my life <laughs> till about 2016. From about, and, from and somewhere you have to have room to breathe. I, just, I mean, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Oh my gosh. Well, all right, so I, I, got a, I got a question with all this. And that is, I, yeah. I mean, you guys teach rescue swimmer, um, which is, I, I know it's different than the U S coast guard stuff that I went through personally, but give me a little rundown. Like how, how, how do you get qualified? Like what qualifies somebody as a rescue swimmer? So, um, and I'm going to touch on this again later. So you don't have to go too yeah. far into it because I, I, I love it's kind of give everybody a like that prequel. It's that you standardize training across the entire country. And I'm going to touch on that a little later, but how do you get qualified to get go to be a rescue swimmer? 
So, uh, wow, way back when it was a, like the surf rescue for the surf patrol helicopter was literally like a three week program of um, two sessions, two sessions a week, um, class, like classroom based stuff. And luckily that was at the hangar where the aircraft was based. So we'd get a, a little bit of ground school, um, <laughs> like if, what I know now, if I, if you know that saying of, if I knew then what I know now, things would be a lot more different. <laughs> like, Only too yeah. well. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, and then you'd go through, um, there was the pool, it would start off with like a little bit like a classroom session, classroom sessions. Then we go into the pool and do um, basic pool stuff that just because a lot of the um, managing your your casualty in the water was was covered in surf lifesaving and in our training and stuff there so it would be quite quite easy to bring it across into the pool for the guys who are on the surf rescue helicopter the other interesting part is that also the nsri also had some rescues from it so it was like it was like this massive joint venture in the beginning between surf lifesaving, NSRI, and the helicopter operator to provide the surf patrol helicopter. Wow. And um, we would then, we'd go into the pool and we'd practice um, basically approaches and everything like that. And then it was time to go out with the aircraft. And it wasn't, we didn't have a hoist. So all deployments were free fall deployments. And recoveries was underslung. So underslung, short haul, as we call it, with yeah. a Dyneema line. So I think that's, um, if I'm correct, <laughs> it's yeah. 25 meter Dyneema line. Wow. And that was, that was how, and, and we didn't have, um, on the surf patrol helicopter back then, we didn't have hoist operators or external load operators. It was either the lifeguard or the NSRI guy who were the two rear crew, and we would be doing the conning. So I actually learned to to do um, voice marshalling way back when, right, right in the beginning, because I'd be we'd swap roles. So you kind of like there's two of you in the back, and it would be okay, right. So one flight I fly swimmer, next flight I I fly Patra. And the other guy would do the same. Or the other guy didn't feel like flying, getting wet that day. So, you know, <laughs> you did this cool, like, dual role, role thing. Oh, that's cool. And I know. And it was, it was pretty, it was pretty freaking awesome. So really thrown in the deep end very quickly. And within basically two months, you're flying as a swimmer. And it's not every single day training. You're training twice a week. <laughs> Wow. Wow. Yeah, so effectively okay. eight eight to ten sessions and you're now flying you're now signed out as a rescue swimmer. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> All right. And, yeah, and then it just it got to like I really I, I love rescue and I love I I used to um obviously like I'm trying to think of the programs back then, but the Guardian like really piqued my interest and I started looking online and I started seeing what um, 
the Coast Guard was doing. And there is, and I can name, like, there is always information that you can find online. And I would find the um, the old Coast Guard Rescue Swimmer manual. Ah, nice. <laughs> Good place to start. <laughs> and I and I used and I used that. I think it was in. I can't remember what year I started. They asked me to start instructing rescue swimmers, but basically from then on, I started going like, "What is everyone else doing?" And yeah. that would be the question that I kept asking, like, "What are other guys doing?" Are we are we doing it the same as other people? How are they? How are they? Other organisations? How are they doing this? So that was basically how it all just started to to grow. And what started off as a um, three week program turned into a ten week program. Wow! And yeah, so oh, that's with, great. With but ten weeks, obviously, like once or twice a week of classes and, and the yeah. more I learned my poor <laughs> sorry my poor students like the more I learned the longer the sessions got <laughs> oh my uh, goodness those poor, those poor guys who sometimes have to endure like a, a three, now after work a a three hour like a three hour lecture which it could turn easily into, it would start at like six and, and the next thing I know it's like nine o'clock or 10. I'd be like, I'm so sorry. Yeah. Uh, we need but, to go home. We, yeah, yeah, we just got to get from work in the morning. <laughs> yeah. So it was, <laughs> it was just a constant, like, what is everyone else doing? And um, I, through that, eventually, I think it was in 2015, I discovered, Eurosa, which is the Rescue Swimmers Association, and they started then going, well, how's everyone else doing things? And let's for let's let's start talking to more people. And this organisation has just absolutely grown. And I got accepted into Eurosa in two thousand and fifteen, two thousand yeah, two thousand and fifteen. Okay. And I just started bleeding people dry of information. <laughs> Nothing wrong with that. And, and that's, how you, that's how you do it. Yeah. You, you get yeah. all the information from everybody else and, and you start making your own program. That's if that's it's, it's exactly it. I mean, even coming um, earlier than that, and I totally forgot about them. Whoops. Um, the 103rd Rescue Squadron from the Paris Kimmon in New York. Yeah. Based at West Hampton Beach. Uh, we worked with them, our station 20, ASR station 29 unit. Um, worked with them over a period of four years, starting from 2008 or so. And I met them on um, two occasions and we would just knowledge share. They came to South Africa in 2009, 2010. And our guys went there in 2010 and uh, my group went in 2012. And it was just, oh. The PJs have got some... Yeah, amazing, amazing what the pararescue men do. They are those guys are awesome. They are awesome they, at what they do. They are they, and they've just done some such epic rescues and yeah. stuff. But yeah. we we also taught them a thing or two from like South Africa, which is pretty freaking <laughs> pretty freaking rad. Yeah. And you know what? Anytime you can get some good uh, knowledge sharing back and forth from anywhere, I'm, I'm yeah. all in. I I love it. You know those. Yeah, it is. It is the. Uh, I just 
uh, that is the one thing I love about our industry is just yeah. that everyone is so keen to share their knowledge and stuff like that because it is like, and it's all born out of like also the interest of safety. So it's just, yeah, it's yeah. Just, it's so great. Cool. <laughs> oh man that's that's Uh, yeah so so now let let me go a step further ready so you get qualified as this rescue swimmer you do that three-week program until the you're you're put in charge again we're going to touch on that a little later yeah and now you're standing duty what is your first case uh i think i was like most first cases in so in in so in especially in cape town in summer uh, drowning in progress and I remember actually um, <laughs> actually I remember this quite well <laughs> so remember as, how as said, most of us do by the way <laughs> <laughs> and funny enough I didn't know like I remember you remembering remember when how I said that um you would back at the, way back when it was the surf patrol helicopter and AMS where you you kind of like jump duties between the two yep. like back in like 2003 and i remember racing them to a call <laughs> who's gonna get there first let's go both, put the pedal to the metal aircraft were, were activated for this call so you've got two 105 <laughs> racing along the coastline to get to to get to a to get to this uh, drowning in progress they won <laughs> And, and we were like, ah, uh, okay, fine. And I think the casualty was out already. So they wait. And also they, they, AMS services or AMS is always um, equipped with a fully qualified paramedic on board nice. and stuff. Cause they also do all, as I said, like they do mountain rescue, they do sea rescue and they do inter-facility transfers. Wow. They're a busy so, unit. Oh, they are, they are massively busy. And um, so they they landed, and they got that one. We flew back off and flew along the beaches, <laughs> went shark hunting. Um, <laughs> yes, that was that's a, that's a thing to look for sharks at the back line of um, some of the beaches. Yeah. Uh, nice. <laughs> yeah, and then and then just go and carry on patrol. And then I think the next one too, they also got activated to the same mission as us, but we got we were slightly delayed to them and they got their first two, but, um, that, that didn't, I think after a, I suppose after a couple of months, the, um, the, how do you say the, the dispatch center realized the call center was like, yeah, this is split. This is using the set two really good resources at the same scene. Yeah. We could use one. At, <laughs> one yeah. One, so one yeah. Um, First, first our case, yeah, unfortunately, drowning in progress, it's back, uh, they're never really, they're never really successful. Yeah. Fine, as the, the currents, the currents of the Cape, Cape um, the coast of Cape Town, all around the Cape Peninsula are just not great. So um, once that person gets into trouble, um, and also, if you if you know anything about the coast of, of South Africa, it's known for its rough seas. And um, I mean, it's 
it's a surfer's paradise for 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 re for good reason. Yeah. Um. So I hate to say it, but I got to a point to where I just I'd hear the word drowning in progress, and I just go, "Here we go again." And ah, oh, that's a you're just like you're just going. I hope I find something, but I almost know that I'm, I'm not. And I'm, yeah. some people are probably going to like slate me for saying that, nah. but it's reality. And yeah. I couldn't, I could only get my hopes up for so much time before it would be like, you, you let it, you don't want it to depress you. You want to be able to go there and go, okay, cool. You know what? We've got a job to do, but I'm going to steal my, it's, it's that conditioning factor. Right. And I think so many people in first response responder roles actually know that whole factor of getting to a scene and just composing right. themselves. Yep. So basically that's, that's a lot of like what I would do. Um, one significant one that I remember was um, we flew to, <laughs> we flew to the coast, we flew to Hawke Bay, which is um, quite a nice beach. And I remember it was a, they'd recovered the guy out the water and it was CPR in progress and having to run a kilometer wow. the beach oh, to, to get to this, to get to the, to get to, to the scene. And then kind of go like, find out they were like, no, 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 it's fine. We've got like all the medics and stuff are there and it's not a problem. Um, and then run back to the helicopter again and go tell them. Uh, didn't have two um, Marine band radio at that stage with me. Don't know. I don't remember why. Sad, <laughs> sad, yeah. Sad swimmer. That sad can be swimmer. A, that's just <laughs> lessons learned for later. That's okay. <laughs> yes. Or just try to get the aircraft to land closer. Um, oh yeah, yeah, hey. Yeah. Um, yeah, but it would it the if, when I think of it now, the amount of CPR and progresses that we landed at was was quite a few. And I do I do recall quite a few times of having of doing CPR on the beach in a way to and stuff and you've like just landed and yeah, those yeah. But the happy ones were like finding kite surfers and nine times out of 10, there was a boat on the water because that, that's a big thing um, that the helicopter usually is weirdly enough, the last was the last resource to be, um, to be activated. So you've got the, the surf lifeguard or um, NSRI going out first and then the helicopter gets activated. And they've obviously got to do start up and then take off and then fly to the scene. So you're always second to get there. And um, I do I do recall like finding a few kite surfers lost from their from their kites because the Cape they call it the Cape Doctor. It's just the Cape Southeaster. That thing just blows straight through. And kite surfing is massive in Cape Town. So. Yeah, so those are, that was generally on this on the surf patrol helicopter, like the ones the ones that we we did a lot of. Oh, so, that's incredible. Yeah, yeah. Right, so at, with all these kite surfers, everybody that you've you've gone down to, um, conveniently enough, like you and I have talked offline quite a bit, and 
there's a couple things that you know I have to ask you about because if I Google your name, there's some stuff that pops up and I'm like, hey, hey, this is this is pretty good. And and actually what we're gonna do is kind of chronological order. But the first one I want to talk about is it's called Seri One. Is that accurate? Seely, Seely One. Oh, Seely One. Sorry. Yeah. Seely One. And in this one in particular, um, let me get there real quick. You guys are in the Sea Rescue magazine, uh, October, dated October 30th of 2009. And I'm going to read just a little bit of this. And then I, I, you got you to gotta give me the rundown because this is pretty stinking awesome is what this is. So, um, so let's see. As the workday ended on Monday, 7 September 2009, and people were heading home, a typical Cape storm that was lashing the peninsula. The gale force northwesterly wind brought with it driving range and bitter cold and huge five meter swells that battered the coast. For the rescue crews on duty in Cape Town, the first hint that they were to abandon their warm beds was an SMS at 2300 hours from station three. Bolt carrier ground off Blogberg, Bloberg, 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 Bloberg. Yeah. <laughs> duty crew, please, uh, duty crew, please be on standby. The 177 meter bulk carrier, Selly One, with 25 Turkish crew members on board, had been at anchor at in Table Bay awaiting engine repairs when the storm struck. With the relentless battering of huge waves, the link broke on her starboard anchor, and with her damaged engine not up to task of keeping up to, with her position, her stern was soon swept into a sandbank. For a short while, it looked as though the crew might be able to coax enough power to move off the bank and into deeper water, but the constant battering was too much, and she was pushed hard into the 12 meters of water off Dolphin Beach. Set after set, smashed into her bow and ran down her side into the beach. Selly one was in big trouble. Holy cow. Yeah. That's a way to get it's, something started. She was broadside to, to the beach. Um, so <laughs> literally, the, I think it was uh, a year, a, year, a season or two before another container ship landed up on our, on our shores. And if you have a look at Cape Town and Table Bay, it's not that big. And um, it's a very, it's, it's quite a sandy bottom, the whole, the whole seafloor there. And um, it was a regular, it was a regular thing when container ships or bulk carriers would start in a mass. So Northwester is the, the wind that blows in, in winter. And when it, and when a big Northwest storm would come through, um, it, at least one ship started to drag anchor. And Sealy One, unfortunately, as, as it said, like, um, her, her anchor broke and she was pushed broadside into, into the shore of Dolphin Beach. And that whole section is actually quite a, quite a how do you say it? Um, the, the beach is quite steep. Okay. So the, the, the profile into the water is quite steep and then it comes into a it has quite a deep gully and then it has a, a set of sand, big sand banks. Oh, so gotcha. Just offshore. You, 
Like, so you, school, you yeah. get that deep incline going into that, that first bit of beach, and then there's a, a mound of sand, we'll call it, that's still underwater, but just offshore. Yeah, so you just have these, these the waves, like as they hit, say, the first sandbank, and this is what I, what I was explaining earlier on about, like the really very hectic currents. So they hit the first, they jack up, hit the first sandbank, and they're massive, and then... They carry, they, they break and then they hit the next sandbank and break again. And then you get towards, um, towards the shore and you can also end up with a shore break. Wow. So yeah, it's just this, it's just this, this freaking, it's just a long impact, impact yeah. zone. And break, break, and break. You've got break after break after break. Break, reform, break, reform, break, oh, reform. Smokes. Jeez. And, um, and it's, I think the impact zone is probably, Roughly about, like you can say, it's about at least up to about a couple of hundred meters out, out, out to sea. And um, that gully in front is quite, um, it's, it's quite deep, the first one. Uh, and that actually forms a nice uh, parallel to the shore current. So that night, I remember getting home from, from dinner and um, I... I was about to get into bed, message went off. You get you we used to get a, a text text like an SMS forewarn. I was like, okay. And then realizing that it was actually it was a really stormy night and I could hear the ocean from from my place. And the next message came in and I was at station 18 multiple strand and it was re re respond to base. So rushed off to um, to base. And back then, Malkwell Strand had a five and a half meter semi-rigid inflatable. Okay. And due to the conditions, we were, the coxswain decided he's only going to take um, two other crews. So um, another, another coxswain he chose and then myself because um, I'm a strong swimmer. So we get into our <laughs> five and a half meter semi-rigid inflatable. And everything kind of looks okay at Malkbos because where Malkbos is, um, is also like a sort of a bay that is protected. I'm um, actually, I've got a little bit of a shake while I'm telling this. <laughs> <laughs> and it has this kelp, that kelp patch that, that um, dampers the waves. And the quickest way, there's either a channel straight through the kelp, which, they've, they've, uh, which has been made, or you can go around. And um, I, I think we went, yeah, we went round. So we took the long way round because the channel you, you you need to know that. I think I think we went round if I'm correct. And the minute we just came around the corner, and we started getting hit by these swells, and it was, well, not even swells, just breaking freaking waves, and. At one point, you're just climbing up it and you realize, wait a minute, this thing is bigger than our five and a half meter boat. Wow. <laughs> and we reckon that the, the waves must have been at least about eight meters. Holy cow. Going out. Yeah. Holy cow. And eight coming meter up waves? And yeah, it, you were, we, were, we were climbing up and I was looking down and I was like, holy, this is, this is, this is fun. This is like we're climbing a mountain. <laughs> yeah. And 
I know one of them, Rick, on two occasions, we hit the, we hit the, we hit the wave and we, we basically went up vertical and I was looking straight down past, past the motors because we had um, two outboard motors mm-hmm. and I looked straight down past the motors and we just came straight in, straight back down on our motors into the water and then, and then landed, um, landed. And on two occasions, the motors cut out, cut out. Holy smokes. And you're just going, hold. And they're trying to get the motors started and you're calling, you're calling waves. Um, and the coxswain is, is just, he's, he's trying to get the motors running. The other um, coxswain is at the back, pulling on the, pulling on the start, the start cords. Eventually she starts again, go, next hit, impact down, impact down. And I just, it, it's, there's a few occasions where I've gone, and I'm sure you've been in these before when being in the water, and where I've gone, please God, let me get out of this. I just, yes. like, can we, can we, can we please turn around and go home? Like, yeah. I, do I, on, and I listen, and it was the, the lights of Malkbors just getting further away, because this is, this is now like, I think it was like almost midnight. And we had another one, and again, straight up, fucking. And I thought this time we're not co- we're not going to come down. We're not coming down straight. We're coming. We're gonna we're gonna capsize. And by the grace of God, we came down straight on those motors and landed flat. And he was definitely looking out for us that night because again she cut out, <laughs> and again just in time, we managed. They managed to get those motors started, and. It, it was just, I, we looked back and we went, we cannot go back. So we could not turn around and go back to shore because we could not read. It was so dark and so gross out there that we could not read the, the surf the way that we would want to. Yeah. So the only thing we could do was proceed. And to get down to CD1, it's, um, was about a 15 kilometer, um, yeah, 15 kilometers to get to get all the way down there. So you had another 15, 15 kilometers to go before you even got to the the ship. Mm-hmm. Oh my good lord! And you're yeah. getting your ass handed to you right now. And and sorry for all my uh, U.S. and Imperial friends. That's about a 25 foot wave that they're dealing with. That's your eight meters, like yeah. Sorry, twenty. And a five and a twenty-four. And a yeah, and a five and a half meter semi-rigid inflatable. Which is about a fifteen-foot boat. See, I gotta help all my imperial friends. (laughs) (laughs) I cannot do that math for all of me. That's okay. (laughs) So we 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 just pushed on, pushed on like went went deep, um, and then pushed on between the swells, and eventually started to see the. Um, the glow from the scene because one of the the big salvage tugs had arrived was was on scene so they had they had just like all their lights and plus Celia one had all the all of her lights on and we just pushed pushed through and then got there and um, station three which has a um, oh 12 my guys back home will kill me for this 
has a 12 or 14 meter Rodman um, deep sea rescue boat. They were trying to come alongside the vessel, but she was still kind of facing a little bit into, into sea. And um, they could not come along the, the Jacob's ladder. And because of how, how do you say it? Like, it was just how manic the, the swells were just coming alongside this vessel. So at one point she then swung and she swung broadside and this created a lee and we were able to put one of our crewmen on board of, of the, of the CD one. And he went up to go and, and basically initiate the, the, the evacuation process. And um, the, Rodman then came alongside a Rescue Three's big boat, and Rescue Three then started then to um, to to get rescue all twenty the twenty five crew members off off of Sealy One, but it had to be done in stages because the swell was still wrapping around this vessel and just it was just the uh, you say it was just massive. So and then myself and Mike, um, so we'd put um, the the other crew that was with me was Mike Jubber and Corbus Mayer and Corbus Mayer was on board of, of Sealy One and myself and Mike were just puttering around in our five and a half meter luckily in this lead just going like oh, I can't believe this what we've just gone through how are we getting home yeah because you still have 15 kilometers to go in the other direction to get back well Mike then made the exact. Mike made the. Mike was the coxswain, and Mike made the decision that um, we weren't going back to Maltbos. We were oh, actually going to go. Great. We were going to go straight across to Cape Town okay. and follow. Um, I can't. I, uh, I think it's probably about roughly the same amount of distance straight across the bay, so through deep water, and then um, try and go in at one. Um, at one of the smaller like boat launching sites of the harbor yeah. on the side of the harbor so uh, the funny games went over yet so we get all the guys and now get off and they're all evacuated off onto um the, onto rescue three and now we've got to get quivers back onto our boat so quivers comes and climbs down the the jacob's ladder and we're waiting with the swells so the ladder's like up here and it's like Swell takes us up, swell takes us down. Swell takes us up, swell takes us And he's, he's holding on and he's like, times it. And as he times it to step onto our boat, we hit a trough. <laughs> and he's just hanging there. Oh my and he ended up dropping into the water. And I was like, shut, <laughs> crap. <laughs> Quickly recover him into, our, into the boat. And I was just like, really? Wow. Great. So recover Corvus back in. Thank goodness, like we did, we managed to do that really quickly. And then it was like the long, dark slog back to, to Cape Town. And we, we, got, we got past the breakwater of um, Rescue. We followed behind Rescue 3. Rescue 3 broke away to go into Cape Town Harbor because that's where they're, um, they're their bases and we had to still go another like two kilometers to um along the coast to another little launch site and as we were coming past the breakwater we just got broadsided by this wave 
And it was just like, seriously, <laughs> can we take more of this? And Mike just went, no, no, we are not going in at, um, and the, the launch site is called Oceana, Oceana Powerboat Club. And anyone from Cape Town in the region knows that Oceana Powerboat Club in heavy swells is is tricky to get in into. It's it's fun on a on a good day. So in those conditions, just like an absolute no no, we're not going in there. He said, "Screw it, I'm going into the harbour." Radio poor control said, "We're coming in," and we um, next to Station Three. Luckily, the um, we were able to to moor up on their on their um, on their jetty, but oh no, they, they, we didn't wear up on their jetty. The, our guys came across with our trailer and the slipway, the repair slipway next to station three was actually free. I got down on the ground when I touched the other ground and I kissed it. And oh, anyone so... can think kissing a slipway is just gross, but I just, <sighs> I was just so happy to be on solid ground. It was, it was insane. <laughs> like, we just couldn't believe what we'd, we'd been through. And um, yeah, it still had to go to work the following day. Um, but it was, it was insane. And that, that, that vessel actually, Sealy won. They were never able to take her off the sandbank. They eventually, um, yeah. She sat there for a, for a while, and eventually, because of divers and stuff, they had to. And then there was an explosion on board um, while doing salvage salvage operations, and they just ended up blasting blasting her completely. No kidding. Yeah. Wow. So, so yeah. So um, that's pretty gnarly. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I've seen gnarly fun stuff on helicopters and, and fun stuff on, on the water. And the following year, we were recognized by the International Maritime Organization for that, um, for that rescue because of what we'd, what we'd basically gone through. <laughs> and, and you saved 24 guys off that yeah. ship. No, 20, I think it's 24, 25. Yeah, it's, we, it was a joint operation. I mean, gosh, like, yeah, it was, it was interesting. <laughs> it was, it was definitely interesting. I, I, I'm, I'm glad that they, they all got a ride back with station three, with rescue three, um, because they have got a lot more space on their vessel and we're very lucky to be, I think seriously stations in South Africa are very lucky to be able to be supported by sister stations. Yeah. So um, when one goes out, Another one is on standby um, in case the, the other one needs a, needs backup. And generally, I mean, sometimes two, both stations go out at the same time, like this one. So, um, yeah. <laughs> Man, nice yeah. job. Thanks. Wow. Great, great wow. career. I can just put it down to some like excellent, excellent flipping helmsmanship from from our guys. Jeez, yeah. oh, man. <laughs> you know it's stories like that I, I listen to and i'm like wow the stuff we do the stuff we do to, to go get those in, in need you know it's just yeah. i sometimes wonder what's wrong with us <laughs> <laughs> like, 
Nothing. Not a thing. It's, Not a thing. No, no, we're we, no, we're we, we're to each other. We're normal. Yes, totally. Yeah, it's to everybody yeah, else. It's like, what is wrong with them? Yeah. <laughs> oh man. Well, all right. So now let me go to an, another one because there's a couple mm. I want to talk about here. Because again, me, you know, when you start looking up your name, things pop up. So in this one. Um, I mean, let me double check this here for a second. That's not that one. And this one, you ended up in another Sea Rescue magazine article. And this one is for what's called the Robin Island Rescue. And there's there's a couple, <clears throat> sorry, there's a couple things that are written on this that, that I've, I got to read because when you start reading some of the stuff, you're like, oh, what? This is awesome. <laughs> So this, uh, this article out of Rescue Magazine was written uh, in the summer of 2013. And it says, uh, I'm going to give a kind of synopsis of it, but at 0004. So that's 12, at, or 12 in the morning or 1204, right? It's zero o'clock. Yeah. <laughs> Start of the day. It's dark out on Tuesday, August 13th of 2013. Oh, I'm sorry, in 2012, on arrival, on-scene efforts to get the crew off from seaside with our rigid inflatable rescue craft darting in between wave sets under illumination from white illuminating flares provided fruitless as waves between five and six meter sets rolled in, forcing our rigid inflatable rescue craft to abandon the efforts each time to avoid being capsized or onto rammed into the rocks the situation intensified when it became clear the vessel was hard aground on rocks and listing at a 40 degree angle and casualty crew had no no further choice and began to abandon ship under their captain's instructions at first only one of the casualty crew managed to get on shore so the NSRI rescue swimmers waded, swam, and jumped from rock to rock in between the crashing waves to reach the ship where four casualty crew members were found perched on a rock below their listing vessel. They were helped ashore by the rescue swimmer by swimming them and then helped them over the rocks to reach the shore while wave sets continued to crash over the vessel and over the rescue efforts. The rescue operation was finally completed at 5.17 a.m. So you started at midnight and ended at 5 in the morning. This, mm, yeah. that's, that's insane. That's crazy. It's, it's generally almost uh, like that with, I'm not going to lie, with the, some, some stuff you start off at midnight and you're finishing. I mean, that occasion, I actually drove home when I should have been driving to work. Um, <laughs> now you uh, had this was a rescue of twelve personnel, right? Twelve crew this, members were rescued. Oh my gosh! So uh, I, this rescue is this rescue. It's we call it the Claremont rescue because um, the vessel the vessel's name was the Claremont, um, and I can say that I still live with it to this day because I suffered like really bad injuries from that. And like the constant movement of me doing this is is all originates from that rescue um (laughs) so that i mean that was another literally every every winter 
we have just these storms just pounding into into the Cape the Cape Coast, and that was pretty much a storm on par with the same as the Sealy One storm. Um, and I remember arriving at base, and we'd heard of Fessler Ground, the back of Robin Island, and the back of Robin Island is directly on open ocean. And her, if you ever look at Google Earth images of Robin Island, you'll notice the back of Robin Island is actually, it looks, it's just rows and rows and rows of rocks. So it's just rock straight, it's just like rock cut. So just like rocky ridge down, rocky ridge down um, through, to the, through to the island itself. So, and open ocean swell just comes and slams straight in straight in there. I mean, it's, it's not unheard of to have eight meter, eight meter swells off the back of Robin Island and stuff in a heavy storm. Because I mean, it's the open Atlantic. Yeah. And I remember going, there was not enough time to change on at the station. I was actually still getting into my wetsuit as we were motoring out of the harbor. So uh, myself and the other rescue swimmer were down in the in the forward cabin, putting on putting on our wetsuits and just getting flung about as we as we cleared the breakwater and started to hit the swells. And um, the twelve meter rod, twelve meter rodman, because um, I had then changed I had changed rescue stations, so I had moved from station eighteen Mulkbore Strand to station three waterfront so we were based in the cape town waterfront and um we went out in our in our in our big boat and they activated station 18 multiple strand was there um they had changed to then i think they had a six and a half meter semi-rigid inflatable and they'd activated station two buckhoven and if i think they are that is six and a half I think they were also coming across with a six and a half or slightly larger semi-rigid inflatable. Okay. So or 6.3. Either way, two semi-rigid inflatables and and rescue and rescue three. And um, so we went out to the back of Robin Island and I even remember at the back for some unknown reason one of our engines kept cutting out. And myself and the other rescue swimmers, before we even could attend to the scene, had to dive under our boat to have a look and see if there was anything fouling in our props because now we're attending to a fishing vessel and maybe it's fishing line underneath. So yeah. um, I provided cover and he like shone a light, shone, shone the torch while Giles went and had a deep look underneath the vessel to see if there was anything in the props. Um, and it was nothing. We couldn't understand what kept cutting the cutting the engine, but um, they sorted it out, and it was decided that Giles and I got onto um, to either Rescue Eighteen or Rescue Two, and I I got onto Rescue Two, and he got onto Rescue Eighteen, and the guys were just setting off illuminating flares because we could not see the vessel. It was it was perched on a it was basically perched on on a ridge at the back of the island and then just and it was basically teetering like this with every wave that was coming and um, it was also starting to break up because it was a a, a wooden trawler so she was she said, and I can still remember hearing the captain because 
our vessel was the, had made radio contact with the with the captain of the vessel of the casualty, and you could just hear him saying, um, "We're breaking, we're breaking apart." And in your mind, you're just going, just "Please hold on." And shame the guy was so tired, and he just kept going, "I don't know what to do, and um, I don't know how much longer we can take this." And our radio operator was just saying to him, "Just stay on board. We're coming." And I didn't get to hear the the rest of the radio comms once I got put on the on the semi rigids. But um, I remember us going in and trying to get to where they were because we had now no clue how far were they offshore, um, where they were at the back of Robin Island because yeah. Robin Island has no lights. It's it's an island that is inhabited on the on the on the leeward side, so. The side that they were uh, harder ground on is uninhabited and it's just wild. And I remember just going, trying to trying to look for any form of light coming from them. So eventually we realized, I think it was one of the boats just got in and caught a glimpse of where they were and realized that they were they were actually on the rocks and it was breaking and the waves were definitely breaking, which meant that we could maybe there's a chance that we could get in from shore because there was no ways in hell we were going to be able to a get a swimmer ashore that way, um, get a boat even close to them because you don't know the the profile of the rocks and stuff like that. You're gonna you're gonna you're gonna mess up an entire crew. Yeah, and you because uh, you can't see anything either. Like nothing's no. illuminated. Wow. It's you can't even get anything close enough to to illuminate it. So. Um, the they had a Oryx helicopter, so that's the South African Air Force. The the helicopter crew was sitting on the flight line, waiting to go. But it was just squalls and squalls of weather coming through, and they could not get a clearance for takeoff because it was just the weather was just that shit. And um, so it was this is the decision was made that maybe we should try and go from shore side. So. Off the off the two the two small rescue boats the the semi rigids go go around to the the harbour of Robin Island mm-hmm. and obviously everyone's asleep they know nothing about the fact that there's a rescue happening no security doesn't know this and um, for anyone that knows that Robin Island is um, is the infamous prison where Nelson Mandela was held so it's a national monument and museum and stuff so it's really like it's sleepy. <laughs> like there's nothing really going on there and we, we got around into the harbor no security because no ferries are running and stuff and somehow someone managed to we saw a vehicle so they took the swimmer the swimmer's reel off of um one of the one of the rescue boats to this to this um, we call it a bucky so in in america you got everywhere else they call it a truck um <laughs> so, so put it on the back of this truck. Someone found Wait, what the security you, what guy. Guys, what do you guys call it down there? A bucky. A bucky. A bucky. Yeah. Put it on the back of the bucky. Okay. Put it on the back of the bucky. Yeah. Um, so you have this open bucky, and um, they someone managed to find a security guard to be like commandeered their vehicle. <laughs> they said, we need nice. to get to the other side of the island, and there's all these guys. <laughs> these guys must have been going. 
what on earth? Here is here are these guys in wetsuits and with gear, and they're just we need to go now. <laughs> Take us to the other side of the island. Oh my gosh! <laughs> so we drove around to the other side of the island, shining shining lights and stuff to where we could actually see, and we spotted four um, the four crew perched up on um, perched up on a rock because they'd managed to get across onto onto like this rock and just kind of like standing there and then behind them was the Claremont on on this on then this other ridge and what we did was then um the guys had we ended up going and um basically getting like rescuing these three guys, these four guys off and bringing them ashore and then rigging the swimmers the swimmers line from the reel uh, tying it off and then tying it to the basically across to um, below the vessel. And I still remember at one point like trying to and the gullies are quite deep. So it's like in it was like ridge gully, ridge gully. And at one point the gullies, the one gully that we had to wade across was was chest deep. And while pulling the line across, I remember holding the rope and to connect to rope and holding it. And I actually twisted my arm in such a way that I, I tore my rotator cuff. Ouch. And I felt I felt it go, but you know that's just adrenaline going. Yeah. And we tied that off, and funnily enough, Corbus Mayer, who had been with me on my Sealy One rescue all those years ago, was also there, and he swam across to below the sh- the, the vessel, um, the the Claremont, and was then talking to the crew because obviously you got the crew up there on top of on the deck, and they're just these guys are just freaking out and we then basically formed like this this human train and um there were it was just handoffs so Corbus would be underneath the the bow he would receive a guy and and we had a line tied off and he would swim halfway across the gully and this gully was particularly deep from halfway across the gully, then I would come across half halfway, pick up the casualty, bring them to the next rock, and then Quibus would go back to to the vessel. Then I'd hand off to awaiting the other rescue crew, and then they'd hand off until the guys were then safely on on shore. I think um, I think there was maybe about eight of us, eight rescue swimmers, basically working this. So and and you're doing this with a torn rotator cuff. Let me just throw that out there too. Yeah. <laughs> Holy smoke. Adrenaline does amazing things to yeah. a person. Like it really does. Um, and then, so, and I remember particularly, like, so we got all these guys across and the last guy was the captain. And Shane, this, this guy did not want to, he was just, he was tired. He just, just not, he was too afraid to jump into the water and, and, and come down. So I went across to go and assist Corbus. And we coaxed him into the water. And as Corbus and I are basically pulling him along the line, so we had like, I was wrapping him like this and then one hand on the line and Corbus was on the other side and we're pulling along. And as we get towards the, the rock where we basically were handing off to, to the next set of crew, I don't know how far off we were from it, but this 
wave just picked up and just picked us up. And we just started, so we're wearing, he was wearing a life vest, like a, you know, the, 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 the dot life vest. Um, I don't know and, it specifically. I'm, I'm going to go like so just he, a standard crew life vest from a boat. Standard, standard okay. emergency one. Yeah. Those yeah. big boxy things. Yeah. Yep. Um, he was wearing one of those. I was wearing a wetsuit and a helmet. Um, so at least I had head protection. And this wave just started, this wave ripped us off, off the, um, ripped him away from Corbis towards me and ripped us off the line and just started driving us towards the rock oh, head no. first. So we're surfing it. And you had that split decision and I just realized that if we carry on going like we're going we are going to go head first into the rock I'm not too worried about myself because I know how to brace and stuff but this guy is going to it's going to have a, an even worse bad day out yeah so I grabbed him and I turned him I just turned him onto me and that I was so he was in front of basically in front of me and I had my back to the rock so that I could brace brace us and I went into the rock into in a seated position. So basically, like I am sitting now, and just back with his weight and the weight of the wave. Oh man! Slammed straight in, slammed straight into the rock. And the guys caught us, and then we we managed to then climb over the rock and and limp back to limp back to shore. The in the meantime, the guys had been transporting all as as they'd gotten groups of um, all the casualties to shore. They basically drove them because more people were awake now, drove them across to the harbor, to the waiting rescue boats and medics and stuff. And it was so funny. It's like, what I noticed was my knee was sore. <laughs> Cause I, I'd knocked it at some stage on a piece of wood from the vessel and stuff. And I didn't really like my back was sore. And I was like, oh, you know, that was, that was quite a hard hit. The ride back was was just as much fun because now you're just just slamming, and these poor guys in the the forward section of of because we're coming back backtrack to the harbour, and it was just all the rescue boats were all there, and once everyone was loaded and boarded, we then made the the journey back to mainland, and just getting back to mainland as well. I just remember it was just even the swell going back was, was harsh. And now it's like five, five thirty in the morning <laughs> coming back in, like had a, didn't decide to have a, didn't decide to shower or anything. Like I just got straight dressed and I was in, I was in, I was in quite a lot of pain and uh, got back. They took all the, the guys to, I remember to, the guys who got taken off to hospital I just said to the guys, yeah, I've, I've injured myself. I'm not quite sure what it is, but I'm sure I can check it out later. Um, I've got nothing that I can see. Driving home, um, I can remember I phoned my boss and I just said to him, we've just, if you listen to the news, I've just come off like this rescue that has just happened. Um, I'm not going to be at work. I don't think I'm going to be at work this morning. I have to go and see a doctor. Or I have to go see my physio. <laughs> got home, climbed in the bath, and that's when I realized when everything started getting all warm that something was desperately wrong. And um, Finch got a physio appointment, went to physio, and my physio just went, checked out my back and just went, ER now. And I walked 
down to the ER, she booked me in and I had actually sprained my spine from top to bottom. Oh, good night. <laughs> yes. She, she, know, she said to me afterwards that she doesn't see people walk in with those oh, injuries. That's usually the shit. equivalent to someone that is in a car accident. So it's whiplash from, it's severe whiplash from top to bottom, plus the torn rotator cuff. Um, and I was put on bed rest for a, for a week. Um, yeah, two, years, two years down the line, um, I actually had developed a condition called thoracic outlet syndrome. And yeah, quite mm. insane. It's, it doesn't stop me to, from doing anything, but it's just, it's, I'm, I'm pretty sure, like, I wouldn't be surprised if anyone listening to stories that kind of goes, I remember that rescue and that injury that went with it. <laughs> wow. So yeah, but it was, it was such an epic rescue. Like it was like such amazing teamwork, how everything just worked out and, ah. Organized chaos. Yeah. Organized chaos at its best, but it's just like, you know, it's just things just go, ah, yeah, too much fun. Eight meter, I, I love the Cape Coast and her, her oceans. Damn, Kim. Wow. Yeah. So <laughs> that that is that is freaking gnarly. Yeah, yeah, was fun. <laughs> I, I I gotta let that one digest Good. for a minute. And <laughs> yeah, um, it's and and, and you know it's, it's just those those things happen. Yeah, I, I yeah. <laughs> well done I, I mean 12 lives saved uh so you you know that's that's what we do and that's why we do it um you know nobody exactly. wants to be injured you know especially the rescue we're going out you don't you don't plan on being injured to go out to get somebody uh you know there's always that that underlining factor that underlining risk but how we put our bodies on the line basically yeah. at, at, at some point I think it's, it's, it is what we do to, to, to get up to, you know, there is that point of um, life over limb sort of thing where you know that that situation is, is not going to be, it's not going to be good for you. Um, but there is that line where you're not quite, you, you don't think it's, you yeah. kind of go, oh no, I'm going to be fine. Yeah. Yeah. I can totally deal with this. <laughs> uh, yeah. 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 So, so yeah. So, uh, yeah, I think my, my gnarliest rescues are definitely with, have been with boats and not with helicopters. Well, I, you know what, though? I am going to touch on one uh, because you guys get hoisted. <laughs> not, all right. So, l let me do one more because, again, you're the rep, just the, the rescues you've been through are are incredible and uh, yeah I, I mean i mean i love hearing these stories anyway um but you did have a, a <laughs> helicopter rescue so now I'm, I'm gonna move past this one and yeah you get called out um and i'm off for a heart attack victim um off a ship so the, this patient <laughs> is is straight up having a heart attack on the on board yeah um so you get called out and let's see it uh 
zero eight o'clock in the morning. Um, and it's, it's everybody, it's a volunteer, 36 year old man, uh, suspected suffering a heart attack. And right here, it says uh, particular, let's see. So the rescue operation was made particular difficult by rough weather, causing the vessel to pitch and roll and limited by space on the foredeck. But on this particular vessel, it was further impeded by the foremast and the deck rigging. So you guys had weather to deal with, waves to deal with, rigging. Like this is your standard, let me go to the smallest possible spot on the ship to rescue a guy that's straight up having a heart attack and without you guys would die. It's, it's your standard recipe for, for a helicopter rescue, Jesse. Absolutely. <laughs> Go on. You know, <laughs> like, uh, small spaces, rough seas, bad weather, send a helicopter. Yeah. Why not? Yeah. Why not? <laughs> So now the cool part about this in particular case, so you go out in the helicopter and um, you, it's you and a, and a uh, intensive medic. paramedic. Yeah. Yeah. So you guys are going down together. So give me a rundown. Um, so, you guys get launched so, out. Yeah. We got launched out and uh, let's take something off. Um, so to, it's, it's worthwhile to note that the paramedics actually aren't from sea rescue from NSRI. They, they're actually from another the state organization the state paramedics so metro rescue um so they they come along with for they they go with nsri if there's like deep sea calls and stuff like that where medical attention is definitely is is possibly needed um so on helicopter for for helicopter star, star missions and medivacs and stuff they will go with um and this particular case, he flew out with a Oryx, a South African Air Force Oryx, which is what we did um, all our, what we do, all our, um, what they do, all, <laughs> speaking as if I'm still there, um, all, their, all their offshore missions with. And the ceiling was quite low. There was a lot of moisture in the air. Um, it was drizzling and stuff, rough seas. And the vessel, was heading um, in towards back towards the harbor because coming in to meet us and she was a solid iron fishing vessel okay. so we can imagine um, there is that wonderful thing called static electricity <laughs> <laughs> whoa <So laughs> Kim did not know about that so well until that mission <laughs> yeah, so, yeah. Um, so but I, I'll have y'all later. <laughs> yeah, um, they, the, I, I actually, and this is also where like part of it comes in and shows like a lot of the, as I say, like the greenness of us that being volunteers on helicopters, like, um, we do unless you unless you've been taught about it by someone else, you don't really know, and hence the the searching around the world for for things for information. Um, so we, we weren't flying with a static discharge cable at that stage. And um, the waves, I think, what was the, the sea state was, was, was pretty, pretty cool, pretty nice. Uh, the boat, as you said, was pitching and rolling and all, all over the place. So the hoisting procedure of getting me down onto the deck 
took a bit of time. And the vessel had, um, so they took me down onto the bow and the, the vessel's crew came, came forward to come kind of grab me because I was swinging all over the place. I think at one stage I, I said a very hel- nice hello to the radar dome. Um, <laughs> I remember going towards that and then going, whoo, <laughs> like coming past it again. I was like, that was close. And hey, if you haven't down, run into something at least one time in your hoisting career, hanging from the bottom of the helicopter, man, come on. <laughs> yeah. Like being able to count bolts on something. You're like, oh, is that how they do yeah. set all that up? Um, so come past and so the guys come to try and grab me on 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 the foredeck, and as I come, as I get close, close like within within a meter of them, and they touch me, just all that that static discharge just hits them, and one of them is thrown back, the other one's just like just lets go of me for, completely, and out I swing again, and I was just like, whoa, okay, that was. That was not cool. Now I have to go through this again when I try and get onto the ship. Did you feel the static discharge through you, through them? Yes. Yeah, yes. Cool. Okay, just making sure. Yes. Just making sure. It's, it's a shocking experience. Okay, it was it? It's shocking. <laughs> <laughs> they basically get me on the Maybe you light up my life. <laughs> oh, wait, wait, it's coming. <laughs> I have never experienced this before. I never want to experience it again. Um, get onto the deck and like painfully disconnect the hook, send it back up. And then they send the medic down. And as they send the medic down, like we're, we're now like right out on the foredeck, right against the bow on the railing. And he's coming in towards me and I know it is going to hurt. And I reach out for him as he comes, swings over just that railing. And it's a solid iron railing. It's not like the railings with like the holes on them. It's a solid gunnel. And as he swings, comes towards the static discharge between his foot and the, the, the top of the gunnel was a lovely blue arc. <laughs> and I just went... Whoa, oh, okay, <laughs> right, this is definitely going to hurt, it's hurt him now, so now he knows, but it's definitely going to hurt me again when he comes closer again, All right, get him onto the deck, and it's just like, <sighs> so he immediately goes down, goes and gets to, to the casualty, and now I have to get, receive this, this, the litter, and we're not working with the high line, don't ask me why, but we're not working. We're not working with the highline. And, you know what? Um, we learn. We we continue to learn the process we, as, as exactly. we continue. This is, this is where all of this comes in. It's just that you know, learn by experience. No, use highline in future and discharge lead <laughs> or static cable, whatever you want to call it. Whatever it doesn't so, matter what you call it. Get rid of the static. <laughs> get this thing on deck. Let go and um, off we've got to go now. Get get this. You got to go and assist with the casualty, bring him. He is in a stable condition, thank goodness, because um, it just would have been a compound to everything if he was not stable. Stable, and now we get him onto the deck, and now I've got to catch the hook. 
and it's a swinging hook oh. without a weight on it. And, <laughs> and that was and a fit. You don't know quite like yet to just let that touch the ground or touch the boat, then grab it. You're not, you're not so, quite so, there yet. <laughs> so here comes the other thing is that there is tons of fishing net. Oh, yeah. So that so we're standing on. Yeah. Oh, yes. <laughs> do, you, do you want that hook like landing in your own fishing? No, fishing no, no, no. Grab it. Yeah. Suck it up. All over the place. So um, it's reason to use here the high line. So or tag line, which uh, a trail line. Whatever you want to call yeah. it. Whichever, whatever you want to call it. There are tons of names for this thing. Yeah. A rope. Rope. <laughs> so hook comes in, but now I'm trying to not touch it with my with my hands because my hands have had enough. I'm trying to hook it in the, the crook of my arm. Nice. Eventually get it in, in the crook, and they pay out cable. Hook the, um, hook the, the medic and the stretcher up. They go. Um, then it's myself and the bags. And it's like each time was the same process of trying to like just getting, getting. Just meat hooking, just. Yeah. yeah, you just had to. And That's a great tip and trick, by the way. That, oh, I, you know what? I'm, I'm glad you actually mentioned that and that, that you figured that out because that's one of the things when I go teaching guys in different classes, that, especially that yeah. have never been hit. It, it's like one of those things, especially with a long sleeve shirt on. If you have a long sleeve shirt, short sleeve shirt, or you know when skin hits it, it just doesn't oh. matter. But if you can, if you can meat hook that right into the crest of your arm, right into that that elbow section, man, it dissipates. It's it still hurts, but it's not nearly as bad as just trying to hit it with your fingertips. Yeah, because yeah. it's just, but the thing is, the natural reaction of your reflexes, your fight or flight, is to let go. Right. It's the same as why they say when you, when you want to feel something that's hot or even for a shock, you go at the back of your hand because yeah. that reflex can then take it away. Yeah. Whereas if you go on with your palm, you're going you're gonna, to um, contract. And um, so, yeah, <laughs> I've done enough contracting. just grab it again the last one then hook up and um they lift me off the deck and into the aircraft and i remember finally getting into the aircraft and um my rescue officer so we have we always flew with sea rescue with a rescue officer so there's like there's a onboard um guy from from the rescue organization that that kind of like facilitates everything in the back and talking with the pilots and they've got all the maritime knowledge to to assist everyone on board and um i remember looking at my rescue officer once the once the hoist operator had flight or flight engineer had unhooked me and i just i kind of like burst into tears <laughs> i was lying on the floor and i was like crying because i was in so much pain <laughs> i was like <laughs> i'm sorry i'm laughing that's go, awful oh no <laughs> i he looked at me as if to go like what's wrong and i'm like whiteboard it's so sore everything hurts <laughs> had to had to go get checked out both of us were were basically booked off the medic and myself were booked off because we had to go and have a have an ecg done afterwards to go and just check that weird we were okay because of the amount of um um electric like electrostatic energy that had passed through us <laughs> <laughs> that was that was definitely a that was a definitely a, a memorable rescue so <laughs> those are the ones those are the ones 
Wow. Uh, it's, 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 always, it's always fun having to explain to your boss why you're not coming back to work if you haven't, <laughs> if you haven't told them that you were leaving work in the first place. Yeah. <laughs> wow. Man, mm. Awesome. Well, good job. Yeah. So uh, it was good, good times. Well, and then I became a hoist operator. Yes, yes, you did. So you, you just you keep learning, you keep going, which is awesome. Uh, And one of the things that I so after all these stories, like you did something which was incredible to me personally because I'm like, man, you took it to a whole nother level. And basically, when you started reaching out, you you touched on this a little bit in the beginning uh, when we first got here, but you went around and you started messaging everybody and their brother. And, and actually you and I talked about this offline. I believe I received an email from you and then I, I ended up leaving uh, or losing that email. So I was not able to respond to you. So now when we reconnected, it was like, Oh, yeah. Oh yeah. <laughs> but you did a lot of research to find out how other people are doing and to best, uh, train and come up with qualifications and come up with a training plan. Yeah. And it specifically says in another article here that after working her way to an NSRI sea rescue swimmer, Kim was in 2003 put forward as a training officer for the ASR in Cape Town and was subsequently asked to review the NSRI training materials implemented countrywide. So they took all of your stuff and you made it a countrywide standard all through South Africa. Yeah. That's awesome. So that was actually like, I think it was roughly about like 2009 when I, when I got um, asked to officially be a training officer and for the, to, to do training for, for the association, for the, um, for the institution, um, the Institute, um, so basically what happened was that in um, rescue from 2003, 2005, then, so I have to like think on my timeline. Roughly in around 2007, I got asked to, if I was willing to instruct um, the surf rescue program for, for helicopter surf rescue, because of the fact that I now was part of NSRI and I was part of surf lifesaving and I understood both um, both organizations and what um, the entry requirements were and how each organization worked and stuff like that. So I ended up becoming on um, for, for air mercy service for AMS, I ended up becoming the rescue swimmer, um, how you say, rescue swimmer officer or trainer. So okay. I I, with them in 2009, um, when they moved from the squirrels, they moved over to the Augusta uh, Westland, the 119. Um, we had to draw up a whole new, basically, manual for this new aircraft on how to deploy, like do everything basically from scratch because yeah. now it's a different aircraft. And um, I worked with a guy back then, funny and <laughs> Ifan Blake, who happened to be the cap, there is the captain who eventually taught, got me into hoisting. Another story um, <laughs> later on. <laughs> All right. <laughs> Blake and I basically um, drew up the 
with the he did with the guys from Mountain Rescue on the mountainside, but we came up within the protocols and the procedures for the sea rescue side. And um, from that and helping draw up that whole program and also managing that program. So all the rescue swimmers that were flying and all the um, and overseeing all the training of all the guys that would fly on the, the AMS platform. Um, the the next the inshore helicopter, the sea rescue then said, well, why don't you do our training on the sea rescue um, in a, on the sea rescue helicopter station too? So I basically then branched out into doing um, training rescue swimmers that were doing the inshore helicopter stuff and then the offshore helicopter stuff and all the search and rescue and also um, medivacs and stuff. And I was I was going. We did not. I mean, it's South Africa. It, there's there's not a lot of money down there for for training. You have limited training budgets and stuff mm-hmm. like that. So we were fortunate enough to have um, good enough equipment and flying with um, on the sea rescue on for on the sea rescue station for um, on ASR. We were flying with um, like, um, the LSC um, harnesses, which okay. which we had. Um, and on the inshore helicopter, sorry, you guys were using the TriStar harness specifically from LSC, yes, right? The, tri- yeah. the, the TriStar harnesses. Yeah. Great um, harnesses for one of the first ones that I started with. Love them. Yeah. I like uh, the uh, new ones better, look, but yeah. Game, game changer. And yeah. the thing is that the Triton for the guys is just, um, when the Triton came up, it was just too expensive to buy. Ah, gotcha. But that's the other thing. The yeah. South African Rand, if you do a comparison between any other um, global um, currency is like you're looking at uh, two uh, like 15, 15 rands to uh, seventeen rands to a euro, and that's also to a, to a US dollar. So anything mm. that that you guys are paying for times that by seventeen, and that's what is is going to have to be paid done in South Africa. Gotcha. And considering that it's a voluntary organization, so they're getting all their money in from donors. So it's it's very budget budget orientated and stuff like that when it comes to kit and gear and everything. Yeah. So you scrape and you just um, and we didn't have big training facilities like you guys have got in E City. And yeah. um, so what I so what I did do was I then started reaching out. We had the um, the connection with the with the parascuman at the 103rd Rescue Squadron, and got information from them um, online. the The U.S. Coast Guard manual was the old one was still was was, was still there. It was one of my first one of my first manuals that I ever acquired from overseas, <laughs> and I poached a lot. Yeah. Hey. It's South um, Africa. What are they going to do? <laughs> yeah, and it was. I always I had this notion of like, yes, we're down here at the 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 butt end of the world, but there is just so much more going on outside, and without a lot of money, I can find ways to improve our uh, and develop our our, proce- our procedures in a safe, effective manner. Yeah. And that was my thing. My forefront is always safety. And um, I started then. And then when I joined Eurosa and made contacts in Europe, I started asking, like, how are you guys doing this? How are you guys doing that? And 
and looking at what each organization was doing and basically cherry picking nice. what worked, what would work for South Africa. And at the time, while I was working with everything, um, we are rescue swimmers across the country. So we had um, in Cape Town, we were flying on three different types of helicopters. So our rescue swimmers would move between, could move between three different platforms. Um, up the coast, there was another um, 119. There was a, a jet ranger at another, at another base. Then further up the coast, there was an, an Oryx, another um, Air Force Oryx helicopter. And then at my last station, the AW109. Wow, so nice. I realized that there was a definite need for standardization around the country. But with that standardization, I couldn't be too specific with hard and fast um, SOPs. Right. So what I had to do was basically, and, it, and everyone knows this, once you get out the door, once you get on the hook or in the water, pretty much the procedures are the same. Agreed. So your recovery, your dealing with your casualty, your strop pickup, um, putting someone into a litter, um, all of that is, is the same, roughly. And then there's a few tweaks. So I developed a program that, as I like to say, was plug and play. So there was a foundation. Yep. And then each unit would then adapt according to the helicopter platform that they were working on, whether wow. they were um, on a helicopter with a hoist or with it, whether they were on a, um, I had then the separate thing for um, guys who were doing the shore tour back to shore for the inshore helicopter. And we developed then a, um, the manual grew. <laughs> It grew from this really thin thing and the guys before me did such great work getting it to where it was. And then basically I just embellished, expanded on it because I realized also that we needed to have more ground school knowledge and knowledge of flight yeah. and how a helicopter works and what happens in certain cases. And, um, there was more to being working on the airframe than what I had learned before. And that needed to be incorporated. Um, and it just grew and grew and grew. And it turned into a, um, the one core piece was that the guys for sea rescue would then do a four day intense ground school course. And it was just, it was, ground school and pool work and the NSRI also went and um, the guys from station 29 went and built an indoor hoist um, simulator type thing. Okay. So they got a, they got a, a vehicle hoist and some big fat mats and stuff. <laughs> and we did dry in, in, in a, in a warehouse, That's basically practicing, practicing the fundamentals of being recovered from the water which is great, or even from the deck of a ship, because yeah, that's all of that brilliant. stuff, hand signals, where to look, your situational awareness, all of that was then learned in a controlled environment. Yep. And also in Cape Town, we had the, um, 
and they still do have it, the use of a Hewitt facility from um, the Cape Peninsula University of Technology. And that's where the guys train every second Tuesday. And they would give us full run of the place, not of the Hewitt, but using their winch over the pool. So, and they also have a platform. So the guys could practice free falling into the water. They could practice being hoisted out of the water. We would kick like massive kicking waves and making, and with the hose pipe and everything like that to simulate <laughs> weather and do all of that in this deep pool. And, and then the guys would go back and um, I'd come up with a program which they had to fulfill of how many um, dry hoists they had to do before, so off um, over the airfield and with the high and with the high line, and I say high line because that is the words that I use now. No, it's fine. And with the high line and everything on at the airfield before they were allowed to go out into the ocean and go and practice first from the water and then fall off of off of off of a boat. And um, my my big thing was that I always preferred, and they and they still do it now, um, is that a new trainee should always be first the casualty for a couple of training sessions, so that they get that experience of being picked up. And I'm pretty sure guys are doing that elsewhere, all over. Yeah. Um, that yeah. they experience the rescue swimmer coming in and getting them out of the water and recovering them and seeing everything rather than this just straight in. <laughs> yeah. go, go and no, it, it's great training. Okay. And everywhere Good. I go, it's, it, you have to be the rescue and you have to be the victim everywhere. I go. Yeah. And, and that's, and that's basically, um, and I, like, I'm a little sad that I left South Africa like when I did, but the opportunity came up here in Germany, but that course, that whole course structure I had basically um, had going for just over a year before I ended up leaving SA and then handing it off to to other people and um, because of South Africa and the how much it costs to just travel as well like pre-course wise what they did was they took all the course material and they put it we put it into an online schooling format so the guys could um, basically go online and go and do all the elements and ready themselves before they went on the really went on the course. So it was, it was, yeah, it was, it was my, my baby for, I don't know how many, how many years to get that, that done. And um, yeah, it was pretty, pretty cool. when I got to saw, see it at like, fruition and my and the first lot of courses go through and stuff and i was like that is awesome that is yeah. absolutely awesome like all hard work hard Thanks. work is paid <laughs> off good job man to be implemented yeah. across the entire country too that's that's impressive like you know you, you were you were handed a very large task and uh it sounds like you've, you've done an amazing job to, to get it to where it is. So kudos. Good job. Thanks, Mitch. Bravo Zulu, baby. <laughs> <laughs> well, Kim, I, I have taken a ton of your time today. Um, I cannot thank you uh, enough for coming on to the Real Rescue with me and, and just sharing these stories and the, ah, oh, man, this is, this is going to be awesome. 
I, I love it. Thanks. So, uh, thank thanks, Jason. For I, I am, I am so honored to have been on here. Can I leave you one, one, one quick story? That I told Absolutely. You and I know you're going to love this. Come on. And I'm sure there are tons of people that are, after I say this, are going to be like, I've done that. First <laughs> ever, first ever jump free fall deployment out out of an aircraft. It was an Alouette three, and. I was, I, I had, it was back in the day. So really back in the day, they used to let the lifeguards who were going to be the casualties jump out the aircraft. Um, so that, so you get a helicopter ride. It was always like, who wants to be the casualty? <laughs> and um, because you got a helicopter flip out, out to the back line or however far out they wanted to drop you. And you could, and then you got to, to jump into the water and then you got to be rescued and it was super awesome and my first time was in an Alouette 3 so obviously it took got landing gear and I got told do not jump up so I was like okay fine so not going to jump up because you know the blades are like there uh-huh. thinking the blades are like like two, <laughs> two meters above me there's no way <laughs> I'm going to jump up and hit it and then go down so I pushed out of the aircraft and no one told me that where the where where your nose goes you go at that point I learned this lesson on the first day and I I fell out the aircraft in like that position so basically (laughs) face forward coming into the wave face First time jumping out an aircraft, base plant straight into the ocean. Bah! And I swear I blacked out for like a mere second there. Um, because it, and I thought I'd actually broken my nose. <laughs> it came up. And I was like, Am I bleeding? Am I bleeding? Okay, I'm fine. <laughs> I'm fine. I'm fine. Oh my gosh. Yeah. But um, that I thought I like actually have been thinking, I was like, I'm going to tell Jason that she'll love this. But. <laughs> hey, if we if we haven't face planted at least once out of the aircraft, you're not doing it right. <laughs> yeah, but uh, hey, dude, this has just been absolutely awesome. I'm loving yeah. your podcast. Absolutely oh, loving them. I like standing in the kitchen. I'm like, oh, <laughs> it's so good. You know, I I'm in awe with this one in particular. So thank you uh, for the stories. Uh, yeah, so humbled at that. Thanks. <laughs> No, I, I appreciate it. So, yeah, Jim, you're amazing. <laughs> Until Thanks, next Jason. time. Oh, you, man. Sure. No, it's, I'm in good company. So, thank you. And with that, ladies and gentlemen, we are out of here. Thank you for tuning in. We hope you enjoyed this episode of the Real Rescue Podcast. Please take a minute and like my daughters like to tell me, like and subscribe. Oh yeah. I'm pulling chocks and taking off. But before I go, if anyone out there has a rescue story that they would be willing to share, I would be humbled and honored to have you as a guest. Or if you have any questions about any of the rescues or anything else that we talk about here on this podcast, send me an email, therealrescue at gmail.com. That's T-H-E-R-E-A-L-R-E-S-Q at gmail.com. You can also check us out on our Facebook and Instagram page at The Real Rescue. That's at T-H-E-R-E-A-L-R-E-S-Q. 
I also want to give a special thank you to all of you standing on the watch today. Always remember that when that SAR alarm goes off, those in distress are praying for a miracle. They are going to get you. Until next time, fly safe and swim hard. <laughs>